This episode is made possible by PwC. It's getting hot out here. Moving the mercury can help move your business. PwC helps turn sustainability theory into real-world action. Reduce your carbon footprint while increasing transparency in net zero commitments. Start with reporting to identify your climate risks and reinvent your business. Create a more sustainable business and a stronger planet. It's all part of the new equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. This episode is made possible by PwC. A robot may not be coming for your job, but competitors are coming for your market share. At PwC, we pair the right tech with the right solutions to help you gain a competitive edge. Reimagine operations from the cloud, fuel innovation with responsible AI, and detect risks before they become headlines. That's human-led and tech-powered. It's all part of the new equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. All right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up, to ignite the legend inside of you, and to push you to your greatness. Join me every week as I take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard-charging people on the planet. They're going to show you how to embrace the suck of life, teach you the values of working your ass off, and charge through whatever life throws at you. This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. Podcast. Don't buckle up, buttercup. Your resume is just life. And that you can't believe what that checks you into. Places you can get into, where we're winding up. I mean, come on. Back in the day when we were coming up, you thinking that we would be here talking about this, having gone through everything that we went through, pretty, pretty amazing, man. So... Are you cancer free or are you, you still got it? No, I'm stay. I've been stage four for the last year. Um, and you know, we can get into it a little bit cause it's kind of part of the, the, yeah. the, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. journey and what's kind of set, set us off to what we're doing. But yeah, it's weird. I, I've been stage four for since last summer and I started out with bone cancer, um, chondrosarcoma of my right leg, my hip and femur. So they removed my femur probably about, I don't know, maybe half to three quarters of it in my hip. So you got a rod Some in there glute. now or did they take your whole leg? Yeah, they, I almost did lose it because um, I didn't know I had it. Uh, and they misdiagnosed me right off the bat. You know, they said, uh, we think, you know, I was feeling really good at the time. I was doing uh, high risk protection for some celebrities for the last five years. And I was doing a lot of jujitsu, uh, MMA, and I was lifting a lot. And thankfully I didn't break my leg because my, my femur was highly compromised right at the femoral head. Ooh. And yeah, it was pretty compromised to the point where they were, I was close to, to snapping it. And that would have been, I would have lost my leg then. If I would have bled out. But yeah, it would have been bad. It would have been a bad day. And uh, yeah, so I had, you know, I finally got a, a second opinion 
from because a lot of the guys that I deployed with back in the day were getting these strange illnesses. And, you know, out of the original 30 of us that deployed back in 2003 to Iraq and subsequent tours, they um, a lot of guys were getting these weird sicknesses. We had five ALS deaths, a lot of uh, I think there was three of them were uh, team guys. And that's what prompted me. I, at first, I didn't want to be conspiracy theorists. I was like, well, it's just, you know, life, you know, guys get sick, but everybody was really healthy guys that took care of themselves and really fit. And um, they were young, you know, maybe 40. Some of them were in their mid thirties when they started getting these illnesses. So that kind of prompted me. I said, man, this doesn't sound right. I don't think I have a bone infection. You know, I'm, I'm very careful what I, you know, how I train all the time. I eat right. And based on that, I got a second opinion. They said, yeah, man, you know, they did a bone graft first and uh which wasn't really needed they did a biopsy a week later they said yeah dude you you know you've got a very advanced form of uh chondrosarcoma which is a subset of sarcoma and that is less than one percent of all cancers so it's pretty rare and um you know so after that i had a bunch of surgeries but and then i got MRSA uh right after i had the surgery i went right back to the gym like an idiot and they were like, Hey, that thing's got to come out. You know, you got MRSA. So three months of, I almost lost my leg again at the hip, but thankfully everything, I caught it early enough, largely because of jujitsu. I knew what it looked like, you know, it was just a small spot and I, my wife's a nurse and I talked to her and I said, man, this doesn't look right. You know, let's go tomorrow. But it was just present, like you had something on your, like, like a dark spot on your leg. Yeah. I had about 120 uh, staples um on my second surgery and it was like right on the incision there was just a little red spot you know and i think most people probably would have missed it or just been like well it's part you know it's pretty gnarly surgery so um you know they probably wouldn't pay it much mind and uh so i went in and they were like same doctor that i got a second opinion from that saved me the first time she was an infectious disease doctor this uh fantastic woman and she's like, yeah, I want to start you on Dapto like today. And if I had waited just a couple more days, I wouldn't have a leg, you know, at best case. So, yeah, I got lucky. Right. But the cancer still, I mean, does cancer spread throughout your body? Yeah. So what, what happens is like, because it was a grade three chondrosarcoma. Um, Explain and, what that is. So, so sarcomas account for less than 1% of all, uh, all cancers, I have a subset of that. So it's less than 1% of 1%. And good based for, on congrats, the rarity. Good for you, man. That's badass. <laughs> I mean, don't have fast. <laughs> oh, hey, way to go. I'm, I'm kind of that guy, right? right? You know, like my, my story is interesting from the point of view that I don't do anything, you know, easy, right? <laughs> like, You're on that long like, suffering team. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I tell people I'm a, I'm a professional sufferer, right? you know? I'm going to use yeah, that I'm one. very good at suffering. <laughs> I like to keep a smile on my face as I'm going. We through should get badges. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I would have a couple. Right. But yeah, so that's, that's what it is. I mean, it's basically a bone cancer and the only way to remove it is to cut it out. Um, so unfortunately a lot of these, luckily for me, it was in my, my leg. There are some people that get it in their pelvis, their sternum, and they just got to remove all of it. You know, I've seen guys have some pretty crazy surgeries, like removing half of their pelvis and um, things like that. 
So the first place this cancer metastasizes your lungs. And so I knew that going in and later on, maybe we could talk about mindset a little bit, but I just, I always kind of prepare myself for the worst and hope for the best. Right. It's just the way I compartmentalize and protect myself from like bad news coming down. So a grade three is like fairly advanced. I think my original diagnosis, I had about a 29% chance to live survival rate for five years and I'm about three years in. So last year uh, I had a chest X-ray uh, CT and a couple PET scans and they found a couple of what they call suspicious nodules on my, my right lung. And of course I knew right away, I was like, well, that's lung cancer because previous uh, all my scans that I had right when I had this, when they found out I had uh, had it in my leg, they were all clear. So I'm like, look guys, this isn't rocket science. I'm like, you know, 47 years old at the time. And, you know, obviously I'm, you know, I'm not a medical professional, um, but I knew right away, I was like, well, I have lung cancer. What can we do about it? And it was too dangerous to, to, to uh, biopsy for all of last year. And then they found this new robot in the state of Georgia. There was only three people doing this. And so I went to a specialist. I had a lung biopsy in February of this year and the surgeon ended up, it was a, it's called a bronchoscopy. They put it down your airway and you're on a ventilator for a couple hours. It looked like I got abducted by aliens. You know, there's like monitors everywhere, a team of 20 people. And I didn't ask enough, you know, questions. So for the, for the audience, what I always tell people now going through the situations that I've been through over the last three years is you have to advocate for yourself. If you don't, you're not going to have good success rate, right? So the surgeons actually, when they went through a week later, he called me with the results, which I was hoping at that point, I was like, either way, it's going to be good news because it's something that I don't know today and we can get after it. And they missed, right? So I was like, what do you mean you missed? <laughs> He missed the target. Like he had one job. I was a good patient, you know, I wasn't moving around. Yeah. I just laid there and did my thing. But, uh, so that didn't give us any more information, but just, uh, about a month ago, I found a really good, uh, cancer specialist who basically, um, diagnosed me based on all my history. I brought him in probably like 20 different CDs of PET scans, CAT scans, and, uh, MRIs. And he presented my case to our sarcoma board. And they're like, yeah, dude, you're, yeah, you're right. You've been stage four for probably a year, if not longer with no treatment. So we got to get after it. So that's kind of where I'm at now. Um, I've been waiting for two and a half months from the VA. They didn't take my private insurance as cancer specialist. So I had to wait two and a half months to get approved through community care to get treatment. And I just got that um, two weeks ago. So last week I had a bunch of seat uh, imaging done and tomorrow I have a really big meeting with my uh, doc to determine what the next steps are as far as like some sort of treatment. But unfortunately with what I got, radiation doesn't work. Chemo doesn't typically work. So it's probably going to be more experimental on Hail Mary. You know, that's kind of what I think I'm looking at, but I'll know more tomorrow. Prognosis of time. I mean, I know the um, Lord's always got a plan for I, everybody, but what are the docs saying? 
I don't know. I mean, this stuff, if it goes untreated, it blows up in your lungs. Um, sometimes it's months, you know what I mean? And um, that's kind of the tricky part, you know, living this way for the last year, knowing that I wasn't doing anything about it other than just taking care of myself the best way I can. It's kind of a, it's kind of a mind game because if you dwell on that, you know, you, you tend not to be productive, but um, I kind of leveraged all this stuff for good. You know um, I tried to kind of make good use of my time, which we'll get into with the documentary and stuff. It kind of pushed me to, to do good things for other people, you know? Sure. I mean, well, man, we'll, we, we'll definitely pray for you on that one. And if, if there's anybody out that we have on our team that's listening, man, we'll, you know, we'll get the word out. Yeah, if there's anything you need that you can't get. I don't yeah, you said that the best, you got to be your own advocate. And they're asking, like, if, if you're, because you're a rarity, you're, you're an anomaly, right? <laughs> yeah. That's why my, my wife calls me a cockroach, you All know? Right. Well, she's like, man, <laughs> this guy is stubborn. So, yeah, I think one of the thing is, you know, when I talk about you know being a good advocate for yourself is um, when I first going back to February this year is a good example, right? So like I'm on the table, like then they're prepping me for surgery, which you know I'm like I've already had a trach, you know, back in the day, so they go through that scar tissue and all this stuff. It was a little more complicated than. Do you get, get trach like after a bar playing around, or do you like get trach while you're in combat? No, that was actually when I, when I was born, you know, I was like 17 months old. They don't know why, but that was my first kind of, you know, uh, kind of challenge, I guess. I wasn't, don't remember it, but I was, it might've been SIDS or who knows, you know, I don't, they don't know why I'm not allergic to anything. Well, welcome back to another episode of the show. We've been hanging out here talking with Chris Cathers, a former U.S. Army Green Beret and CIA paramilitary global response staff contractor with 12 deployments to Iraq, Afghanistan, Palestine, and North Africa. He is a turnaround specialist and operating expert with over 15 years of experience in the manufacturing, defense, and service industries. Chris, welcome to the show, man. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We like to kick these things off with a bit of an icebreaker. Obviously, we were chatting with you there for a few minutes, but our icebreaker today from our Patreons, they ask you, what does the perfect burger look like? If you can make the perfect hamburger, what does it look like for you? For me? Well, I'd have to go with, there's a place local here in uh, Atlanta, and it's called a Buford Blue. Buford is one of the towns, but has blue cheese on it. That's kind of one of my things. So I'd have to say like some kind of blue cheese uh, hamburger. Man, I, I, I've, uh, on Instagram, I follow these like cheeseburgers, these hamburger sites that these people just make these. My mouth, well, actually my mouth, my throat. We're going to get a cheeseburger after my this. My throat's starting to seize I, up I, a little say, bit. Yeah. Yeah, man, they'll make these. I can't even describe them to you. It's almost, you got to see it. I mean, it's like smash burgers and they smash the onions and the mushrooms and they're like five patties and the cheese come. It's those pretzel buns with bacon. God almighty. Oh my God. We're going to Ron's. You want to go to Ron's after this? Yeah. All right. Have y'all had Tejas's cheeseburgers yet from the Tejas burger joint? Yeah. Well, they're really those good. are also good. Miss Kitty's has the best. You know, when, we, when you bite into it, you got to clean your arms with a towel afterwards. Like one of those kind of <laughs> yeah. grill burgers. I'm a, I'm a, a triple a meat, diner. triple cheese, bacon, jalapeno, grilled onion guy from Whataburger normally. Yeah, I'm a number two from Whataburger. Shredded cheese, all the veggies. People, I think cheeseburgers get a bad rap, man. It's got everything you need on it. 
It's got all your vegetables, some bread, meat, meat dairy, everything growing boy needs, Which man. Is great, That's right. Great for somebody in the forties that just <laughs> metabolism is superb. How, how old are you now, Chris? I'm gonna be uh, forty nine in August. I don't like to admit it anymore. <laughs> you know, I tell people I, I I saw this like meme the other day, and I just totally relate to it. It was like you know I uh, when I wake up in the morning. I make all the sounds of like a glow stick, you know, the cracking and popping, but I don't glow. There's like no. <laughs> an infrared one? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like an infrared glow stick, you know, in the morning. That's what, you, no should say, that's what you say to your wife. She's like, you're not glowing. I'm infrared. Yeah. Trust me. There's a light in here, hon. It's, uh, it's just subdued. Absolutely, man. I Dude, that's funny you do that because there, there's been a couple of times when I get up in the morning and sound like an old hot rod firing up with a busted something in the trunk. Right? And my wife, bless her, I'm like, babe, if you could have seen me in my prime, man, I, there was, you know, I, I moved quick, front flip out of bed, hit the toilet in midair while I was going to the shower. And now it sounds... <laughs> sound like an old Buick firing up. <laughs> well, once you get going, though, stand Hard by. to stop. Hard to stop. Hard to stop, man. I watch, I watch Over the Fire cooking. Oh. Watch, watch that dude. Yeah. He makes some cheeseburgers and make you jump up hit somebody that primitive cooking style that stuff is real cool it is i'll get online yeah. every now and again and watch go you live out you say chris you live out in the woods street food watching yeah i'm kind of like not as much as i'd like to i mean my goal you know in a perfect world would be to get a like a non-working farm you know and those two words I mean, really don't go together but i understand <laughs> well what you're trying to say. where it goes is i just want to be like tooling around on the back 40 you know on a four-wheeler cutting trees down and you know that's you know maintaining and battling entropy but i think i've already thought the process out i'd like to have some uh, goats i hate goats but um i'd like to have like maybe four of them and one of those would be a feigning goat or myotonic uh they call them like myotonic goats they fall over if oh, they yeah oh, we had a sleeping goat yeah we had them do you have one? Yeah, we have a bunch of them. See, I, I would just bring pass out. buddies <laughs> over, have a couple beers, you know, have a couple drinks, and you get an air horn, and you're like, hey, try to pick out which one of those is the fainting goat, you know, and you're just like, Meh, you know, maybe that's not cool to say anymore. Maybe it's like animal cruelty. Nah, nah you're good. <laughs> Need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Oh, that's the best thing. That's what I do now. Cattle rancher, farmer. I mean, it's, yeah. it's 
getting going through all that madness that we had to go through in the beginning, it's it's almost as it, that's the only direction to go for peace. It's calming. Get up in the morning, yeah, man, and walk it, around. That's all you got to do is deal with the animals. Yeah, it's just you know, I think you guys posted a picture. I saw something on social media about deer in the back, you know, there's something just really calming to your point, you know, about being in the country. Like I I think about six months after uh, my surgery, I did, I spent some time up in the mountains in the Northeast and it was amazing, man. I saw, you know, every day there'd be bears, uh, you know, black bears and uh, deer, a little bit of everything, you know, and it just makes you feel more kind of at ease, you know, it's like where you're supposed to be. Yeah. It's hard. It's it's great living out here. So let's, let's kick, let's go into a, let's start from where you're from and how you got to where you, where you sitting today. Where where were you, were you born and raised in Atlanta or in Georgia? No, I call myself a, I'm a, I'm a reformed uh, Yankee. I don't claim, I'm kind of, I claim the South now because I've lived most of my life down South, but I was born and raised in a a small town about 45 minutes North of uh, Philadelphia. Uh, I call it Doylestown. So that's kind of where my people came from. And, you know, that's where I was, I was born and I'll be buried up there. But aside from that, I just love the South, you know, but um, yeah, I was raised by my father. Um, I've got, uh, I've got an older sister, an older brother, and then I've got um, a younger brother. Um, And, you know, I went, my parents got divorced when I was six and my dad kind of raised me and, he kind of had a profound impact. Actually, today is the fifth day of his, uh, he died, uh, passed away in 2017 from cancer, ironically. Um, but he, uh, he joined the military in 1960 and he was a military police. Uh, he was an MP from 1960 to 1964. Then he joined the Doylestown uh, police department and was a canine, uh, handler from 64, I think to 69. And then he was a sheriff for about 25 years. So he spent about 40 years in law enforcement. So in, in between that and the military, and that kind of, kind of led me to take some of the path that I, I ended up taking, I think. Play sports in high school. Yeah, I was a really good athlete growing up. You know, I, I did a little bit of everything. I mean, I, I started to take one dough when I was like seven, you know, and then I, I, I did soccer um, just for a year or so basketball, Two, a couple of years of football, even though my little brother says I didn't because he played college football. But um, yeah, then I got into running in eighth grade. You know, I broke the mile when I was in eighth grade and uh, it just was like it came. I won't say natural to me because it was really hard, but um, I started doing that three seasons a year from eighth grade all the way through my senior year. So I was like just a long distance runner. I uh, did the mile, two mile were kind of my events. I was better at the two mile and uh, I was kind of running somewhere around the 930 mark, you know, in 11th grade for the two mile. And I, I think God that mindset kind of helped me. Huh? All right. Hold Nine, on. I, I know a little bit, but I don't know. I mean, 930 was, for a two miler. Yeah. How tall grade. are you? What's that? How tall are you? Um, well, I'm How shrinking. How tall you used to be? Um, <laughs> I was, I was six foot. I think I'm like five eleven, five eleven and a half now, you know. 932 <laughs> miles. Buddy. That's trucking it, man. That's moving out. Impressive. So you like to run. Yeah. I, I, it was kind of love-hate, you know. Like, I just, it was something that, um, there was a lot of mental aspect about it, you know. Like, um, 
I was like Prefontaine. I wasn't the, the strongest guy or the fastest guy genetically. It was just a lot of, you know, that's why I like the two mile because it was long enough where sometimes I'd like guys I've been lapped before and had to catch up, you know, and it was just this mind game the whole time, you know, but um, my coach kept me, uh, that's what kept me in high school, to be honest with you. Academically, I was very smart. I was a good kid, but I got in a lot of trouble with like law enforcement when I was uh, young and in high school. Got my dad, my own father actually arrested me in high school once. Uh, wow, <laughs> he put me in handcuffs. So, what was that like? Uh, yeah, memorable. It was funny. The guy I can see your face, me. so I know you don't have to answer that. I, I yeah, that that look this says so much to yeah. guys like us. <laughs> yeah, when well, you when you my, get an apex dad. predator wide eyed yeah. like that, <laughs> it wasn't good. And it was the front page of the newspaper because we were in a small town, and my dad was a sheriff, you know. And looking back, I mean, what an embarrassment, you know, as a kid, you know, to do that. As I'm more mature now, but back then I wasn't very mature, obviously, but. Um, yeah, it wasn't good. I had to go to court. Luckily, um, luckily it didn't, it didn't, um, I got everything, uh, you know, off the record so I could join the military and yeah. kind of pursue something positive, <laughs> but that's what, you know, sports kept me going, man, because if it wasn't for sports, like I just knew I had to make, make sure I was eligible every year. And I love sports so much that, and that it just kind of kept me on the right path. But, um, yeah, <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't a good scenario. The guy who actually, the, the, the police that, that showed up, I knew the guy cause he came over to like our cookouts and stuff. I had tons of cops at my house all the time and he knew me and he knew my dad. He used to be a deputy for him. And I was like, Hey, you can arrest me, man. Just don't call my, my old man. Like he's going to murder me. And he's like, I got to call your dad, dude. And, uh, yeah, he showed up and he was not happy, <laughs> as you can imagine. That's the worst, man. Did you, um, did you play? Did you go to play sports in college? Or did you go straight in the army after high school. Well, the story goes like I had three options. My father, being in the military before, he knew I needed a kick in the butt. I also knew I needed a kick in the butt. You know, um, having those types of run-ins and. Um, I had, I had three options. It was either go to school, you know, go to college. I had scholarship opportunities, but not full. And I knew I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done well in college. I just wasn't academically. Uh, I just, it didn't do anything for me or I could get a job um, or join the military. So literally within a few days, I went down the MEPS and I didn't do any due diligence. The internet wasn't big back then. And, uh, I joined for six years, the late entry program, right off the bat, right out of high school. And um, good for you. you know, huh? I went just jumped in there, huh? <laughs> What's it? Just jumped What's in that? there. Give, give me the six year. You got, you got a 10 year billet? <laughs> yeah, I came home and told my father that. And he goes, dude, really? Like six years? I meant like maybe like three, you know? <laughs> and I didn't know what I wanted to do at the time, right? Like, because I didn't know, you know, I grew up watching. Uh, I think one of the influences, this is going to sound kind of cheesy, especially guys in the community, but like, you know, I used to watch the old Rambo, the original one. In yeah, Rocky, yeah. Why like, is that cheesy? Yeah, it was Dude, just that like, defined us. That what are you talking about? That, that was awesome. Cool. Yeah, we played Rambo. They didn't have Navy SEALs back in them days. Man, I would walk around with that survival knife. Compound bow. Compound bow said Rambo over the top of it, man. Not even, we, and Commando, I thought Commando was great. 
Yeah. Yeah. On the other day. Yeah. You know Those about? early days. Yeah. I, the movies that defined those 80s movies that defined our generation. I mean, it's almost like right we were coming up right when those wars were spinning off and all that's all that those types of movies that we watched, man. I'm I'm telling you, thank, yeah, that, thank that, God we had them. That scene on the mountain when that cop's like, those green berets, they're real badasses. They're real badasses. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Stallone yeah. hooked y'all up. He 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 freaking hooked y'all up, man. I was old school for CGI. That dude bailed off sign up. Anyway, go ahead. Go Sorry, ahead. man. A <laughs> little shout out of you, greeny beanies. Yeah. Well, you guys took over all the. You guys got all the cool movies now. You yeah, know? I appreciate yeah, that. You're but, right. You know, but yeah, that was my. I got screwed by a recor- recruiter story, right? So I went in and I said, I didn't. I didn't know what anything was. You know, I didn't really understand. I bet that guy loved you, man. Those recruiters, oh, yeah, guys I was like, like you walk yeah, in. Yeah, six years. What can I do more? Like, can dude, I just he probably got a trip to Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get anything. I said, he goes, "What do you want to do?" I said, "I want to be an airborne ranger." I didn't even know what ranger school was all about at that point, you know. And he what goes, year is this? I'm sorry, I didn't write. What year was this? Ninety six. That was 1992. Two. Two, yeah. Yep, back in the day, and uh, he goes, "Okay, airborne qualified." He stamped my paper. I saw airborne qualified. I didn't know what that meant. It just meant I was qualified to go to airborne school. I I didn't get airborne school. And I actually went in as a soft skill MOS. I was a 68 x-ray, which was, you know, I worked on Apaches, a far, farthest thing from, you know, going to Ranger Battalion or SF that you could be, right? So that kind of presented challenges down the road because when I got to my, uh, uh, when I went in, I started to excel because I, you know, I enjoyed the process, you know, after I got out of basic, I kind of, started to like figure things out. So when I was in E4, I was like, all right, I want to go to Ranger school. And they said, you can't go to Ranger school, man. You're, you're not a combat MOS. You're not a, you're 11 Bravo. You don't have any background. And I was like, man, okay, well, what can I do? They said, you can be uh, you can be a green beret. And I was like, all right, let's do that. So 1995, I went to selection. Um, I was li- I was in Germany at the time and I was a corporal. <laughs> So I was young, inexperienced, and I went through selection. And all they told me was like, hey, if you don't quit, the probability of you getting selected is very high. And I, that's all I knew. And um, everybody else, a lot of guys were coming from Ranger Battalion, um, 11 Bravos. Um, you know, they had a lot more experience. So selection process was rough. But, you know, physically, I love, you know, I was a runner. I had a lot of good physical advantages. But so I went through just fine. And then after airborne school, I went back to my unit, went to airborne school and started the Q course. Um, and I know, Marcus, you're in 18 Delta. So that's what I thought I wanted to do. Right. Well, they didn't think I was smart enough to do that. They, I was an 18 Bravo. Um, so yeah. I was a weapon sergeant. <laughs> I, right, yeah. Oh, don't worry. I didn't know. I didn't think I was smart enough either. Freaking courses. <laughs> Impossible. I, I mean, don't think I, I, I would. Love it, but don't get me wrong. <laughs> I love being a, a bastard to the army guys. I mean, it's paid off so many times having that call. God, back it up to when you're talking about going into selection. When it's like, hey man, just don't quit. Because I I think about that now. Now that we're older, and you got those young guys in there, man. And I I'm starting to remember what I felt like before I went in. How cool that was. I think that's the the best part about when we get older 
it's like you start to look back and reflect. Like, oh, yeah, man. Because I, I, the old-timers, the Vietnam guys would come up to us and be like, man, you guys are badass at what you're doing. You're freaking rock and rolling. And they were like, man, we, we kind of we think that about you guys. That, that, that You guys kind of paved the way, man. We're just in here trying to start to wide that thing a little bit. But yeah, talk was, about because I remember walking into selection the first time, or they're like, "Hey, man, all you do is just just don't quit." I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Yeah, me neither. I, I mean, I <laughs> had no idea the depth of where where we were, what, what, what was going to happen. <laughs> and then you just like you have to think about that, never quit and stuff all the time. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Because I mean, every it, it, freaking day, someone was crushing your soul. I mean. The, one of my instructors, I was like, he had that red pen. He's, he's like, my job is to spend all the ink on that paper. I can't. I'm gonna make this sucker bleed, like it was red paper. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I wasn't even there. I was trying to become a medic, or you know, I, I was supposed to be there. That was cool, but it, it didn't matter. It automatically became a selection. If you're in that freaking program, there ain't no. It's easy. I, I, there's no lane like that. It's hard. It's hard for everybody. Right. Oh yeah, hard 100%. for everybody, man. And you know what that does, yeah. man? That kicks out any kind of animosity. It's like every yeah, person I, had to go through that crap. I think it's kind of an advantage in a way because, like, I knew, I knew I wouldn't quit. I was like, "You're gonna have to kill me to put me out of it." Like, I saw that's what I said I, too. Same thing. I didn't want to go back to my unit and be that guy. You know, there was a lot of pressure because when you're leaving to go to selection, if you wash out, you got to go back to where you came from. If you're, you know, if you're lucky, and those guys, you know. It, that that's such a letdown, you know, I, I was like, man, I don't, I do not want to go through that. So that kind of motivated me a little bit, but also when people quit, it was like, I kind of fed off that energy. I love watching people break because it kind of was like, Hey, that's one last guy I have to worry about. You know, I know a certain amount of people are going to make it. think that might have been a little bit of the intimidating part in the beginning too because you saw the guys that washed out like normally they quit when you're not looking but there were some that would you be like man dude i thought for sure that guy was and then they make a show out of they it. they make a show out of it so you kind of <laughs> yeah that's why we learn to keep moving right it kind of takes what's presents some problems when we become a civilian you know when in any other kind of capacity you kind of you want to show that nerd but with us it's like hey man because quitting is an option but uh, yep yeah, so I guess in the back of our head, we know that, but if you focus on it, then it, man, it'll consume you. We just kept, kind of kept going to, to the point to where it's so ingrained in us. Anytime I talk about this when I'm on stage, I'm like, hey man, every time somebody tells us to quit something, we block you out. Yeah. Our instructors would say that to us while, while guys were dying. I'm like, no, I don't want to quit. Why? Where else am I going to go? I got nothing else. I can't, I can't go anywhere else. It's like, I always treated it like that. Right. Like I was there. What the hell else yeah. am I going to do? Yeah. And like you said, one of the things that was weird back when I went through was like, you could go through that, like every week they would have, I can't remember if it was every week or how often, I think it was like, there was a couple of different times where they'd line you up and no matter what, you, nobody's quit. You made it through. They did it all the way to the last day. They would, they say, all right, group one to my left, group two to your right. And you'd be watching each guy, like you're just saying, and there were some studs going in group one. And then you're like, man, then you go to group two 
and you're like, oh man, you start <laughs> right? looking left and right. And they're like, hey, group one, you're all no goes. You're out of here. And for you know, you can get peered out or right. You know, for, there's no there's no rationale. You don't know what the rationale was, but you're like, man, that guy's a stud. And then I'm I'm in this other group, and you're like, uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to be that guy. And that that's terrifying because there's nothing you can do about it. You know what I mean? Bro, back in the day, man, they kick your ass out if you were ugly. <laughs> I mean, we had guys that pull pull up in panic confusion out of sequence. That's all you had to say, man. Because if they didn't like your ass, if and, which is the teams, right? So that's the thing. That peer evaluation support. You want to stick somebody in there that can't jive with everybody and they know that yeah you don't know Man, what I, would have been in trouble. I mean because you yeah because think about that when you have a student mentality that's completely different yeah i mean it's like a different kind of human walking around student mentality right i didn't i didn't really put all that together and somebody explained to me like when we start we don't grow up fast we just get big fast growing up kind of takes a while so but when we start something like school from when you start kindergarten you graduate high school man you're you're a different human being altogether when you start college and you graduate, you're, we classify you as a different type of person. And the same holds true like people who start as a white belt as opposed to when they're a black belt. They look the same, man, but what's inside that sucker is different. Right. And, and when we became, when we joined SF is when it really came into play. And the minute someone acknowledged that, like that, that's how that works. Someone has to acknowledge it. You can, call, you can call yourself whatever you want all damn day. But the minute our people throw a title on you, it's, it's completely different because when you start selection, when you got tabbed up, you know, and that, that never goes away. It's almost as if when they put that pin on you, acknowledge that it ingrains and you're, you've reconnected some kind of wire to a different program and it never goes away. Yeah. And it's funny because I, I had more problems like as I went through the Q course than I did with selection, because uh, like I said, I didn't have a background. Um they were talking about all the vernacular, the terms and terminology that they were using. I didn't have any of that background, like small unit tactics. When we went out to the, you know, to do phase one, I was like, I was totally green. And a lot of guys would help you out, you know, which was nice. If you're, if you're a good dude, some guys would help try to like educate you off time, the little bit of that you had. But that land nav, man, land nav kicked my ass. I got recycled in land nav. Land nav <laughs> all, all I did was run. I probably, if you watch me on a on a screen, I probably covered three times the distance of anybody else because I was such a, <laughs> an idiot. You know? I was just covering your bases. That's all, <laughs> so, bro. I don't worry about it. You went <laughs> so making sure no one was following you. I, I must have missed it. You went to Q course and you went to a, you went to a SF group. Then you went over to CAG. No, so I went through after I finished. Uh, SF, um, I got out right, right, right before it was in the fall of 99 going into 2000. So I, I made the decision to get out. Like what because month? Huh? What month? I mean, I was right, right at the, when we were transitioning over 2000, I came in uh, in March, 99. It was 98. probably that, that fall. It was like, um, maybe October, I think somewhere around there is when I got out. And then I went to PA school because I wanted to be like, uh, like Marcus, you know, they told me I was too stupid to be a, a medic. So I was like, Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll be a PA. Yeah. So I almost finished, you know, I went back to Pennsylvania. I went to a university up there. I did two years at a community college to kind of get assimilated. And that was a hard transition being with, mm -hmm. with young kids. I was only like 20 late twenties, but Mojo did that. Not, what's that? He did that. When he went back to school, yeah, had an older so age. I was in my forties. It sucked. <laughs> yeah, it was super rough, super rough. 
I'm just looking left and right. And there's a lot of 18, 20 year olds. I'm just like, man, I'm just starting again. And I don't have anything in common with anybody, you know, and 9-11 had happened. I was getting ready to take a biology test that morning. And as soon as that happened, that, that, that threw me in the whole other direction again. Um, I had about five classes left to finish um, uh, my biology pre uh, PA uh, course. And I called my team sergeant that day. It was like all 9-11. I said, hey, I want to come back. And he's like, ah, dude, by the time you get back in, this is going to be over, this and that. So I, I, you know, waited another month or two. And then a buddy of mine, uh, one of my best friends hit me up and he was like, Hey dude, they're recruiting for OGA. Um, you know, you want to, you want, um, he was in Afghanistan at the time. And he's like, you want to come do that work? You know, they're recruiting. And I'm like, hundred percent, dude, I didn't even miss a beat. And, um, I started right after that went went through the vetting process and, uh, early days. And, um, I was in, in Iraq by right around a month after the invasion somewhere around there. So really, yeah. That, what Man, was that I, like real fast? Um, it was awesome. You know, back awesome, in right? three, it was, it was good. Um, because it was what I wanted to do previously. It was like the wild west. There wasn't yeah. a lot of bureaucracy. You know what I mean? None. Right. No, I mean, no one it was just like, run and gun you're on the road every day yeah and it was just a different atmosphere that's what i was i really wanted to do and i feel like i've been a protector my whole life like a sheepdog you know i just want to keep the wolves at bay i like i like the putting someone else you know they're we were doing high-risk protection for for government assets so i just i really enjoyed um you know, protecting people, you know, in hostile environments and austere environments. So I loved 03 was great. It was quiet. We were riding soft skin vehicles, but then I went back in uh, January. I think, I don't know what month it was. It was probably right after maybe January. I had a month home. I went back um, in uh, early 2004 again, and it just got crazy then, you know, like it just went, you know, we were getting, there was a lot of uh, incidences at that time. Where were we all out of? Um, originally, like I was Everywhere. at Biap, like the uh, Baghdad International Airport. Mm -hmm. We were yeah. set up there. Then we went to Camp Slayer. So, yeah, that's kind of where we were. We were at the time, and then we just punch out from there. You know, Mosul, Ramadi. You know, Sadar City, wherever, wherever we got to go. Wonderful places. Thought about buying yeah. the property there. Wonderful. <laughs> so nice. How long were you in uh, OGA? I did that till 06. So after Iraq, I went to Afghanistan, did a couple uh, stints there. And then I went to Israel uh, for, I like to say a year, but it wasn't a full year. Um, I just tried to stay there as much as possible because it was a much better environment, you know, um, compared to where I had been. And I kind of enjoyed it. It was kind of like, it's kind of like the appreciation tour, yeah. <laughs> you know, cool place. Yeah, it was awesome, man. Um, you know, like Jerusalem is a really awesome town. Um, there's just so much history there. I just enjoyed the history, you know, um, there's just, there's so much, so much, uh, it's such a rich, you know, history. So I moved out of OGA, I mean, you were ODA, OGA, retired out in 06 and then 
Where did that take? Then us? I went. I, I kind of took it. You know, I got, I got hit by a couple IEDs um, early on, and my ex-wife at the time was like, "Hey, you know, your your number's coming, man." And I I was trying to think like. I'm like, look, I, I didn't. We kept saying that this the war was it was going to be over in a year, then in two years, three years. Had I known it was going to go on as long as it did, I probably would have tried to continue on. But I, I thought it was going to dry up, you know. And I was starting to think to the future because I'm like, well, it's a young man's game, you know. I was in my mid 30s, still young. Um, so I got into defense contracting. My my buddy uh, John Zinn was from SEAL Team Three. We were partners, and uh, uh, I was introduced to him when I was in Iraq in 03 and 04. And he he did a startup with a armored vehicle company. So one of the problems we were having was we were driving uh, a lot of armored vehicles. The government was scrambling to get all these vehicles overseas, but they wouldn't blend. So we would just get hit all the time, yeah. you know, like, Hey, there's a suburban, there's a, you know, a seven series BMW, right. you know, that's armored, which is great, but you need that armor because you know, you're going to get hit. So we wanted to go make indigenous vehicles that would blend in the environments that they were operating in. So I initially invested in the company and it, probably around Oh four, um, well, maybe it was Oh five, but, um, I have eventually came in as a PM. I didn't know anything about the industry. I got my business degree, Six Sigma Lean courses uh, that were automotive focused, project management courses. And yeah, I was with that company until 2011. Well, actually like late 2010, because he ended up passing away on a business trip. And it really, that, that's what started my the whole you know, that kind of catapulted me into uh, some mental health issues. You know, as I look back, I didn't know this at the time until recently, actually. But his death was just, it was unexpected for one. He was only like 32, 33 years old. And there was just a series of unfortunate events surrounding that. Like I had to tell his wife, uh, who was about nine months pregnant with his first boy. They lived in my neighborhood. We were like the mafia. You know, we all had these a lot of us were all in the same neighborhood. So he was a huge influence on me, you know, like we challenged each other and just worked to the bone. And I had to tell his wife, you know, which was just one of the hardest things I've had to do. And he had two daughters at the time. Um, and it was just that whole year was just tough. And, um, we even had to pick his body up in my, my buddy's suburban and drive him from, the airport because he died in Jordan and we had to drive him up. And then, you know, his, his, his father was a Vietnam veteran in our legal counsel. He wanted to open up the casket and uh, it was just a, you know, we're crowbarring this casket open and it was just, uh, it just had a, a, a long impact on me for a lot of reasons. But in hindsight, I managed to get it to get like, that's where, you know, the best stuff, I had some issues with anxiety previous to that. Like I didn't want to be in any social settings. Uh, if you asked me two years ago to do a podcast like this, there's no possible way I could have done it. Um, I just was terrified to be in front of people, uh, leave the house. You know, I just go to the gym and the grocery store. That's my thing, you know, and I'm still kind of a hermit, but, um, but that kind of like pushed, I ended up running another armored vehicle company after that um, six months after, but I was starting to drink, uh, 
a lot. <laughs> and I tried holistic ways to, to combat my anxiety and depression. Like I would work out, started at one, one a day, which I normally do. And then I went to two a days, the three a days. I was working out because if I redlined my body, then all the all the the noise would, would would settle down, if that makes sense. And I could only I got more and more the more I did it, the more resistance I had to being able to redline myself. You know, I was training with like some high level athletes doing like uh, at that time, a lot of MMA type style workouts like uh, functional fitness. And I got down to 170 pounds. So um, I was super like just wearing myself out. But then I'd come home and drink like, you know, a fifth or I was taking Damn. Vicodin, Percocet, whatever I get my hands on. Cause then I would have, it was a temporary fix to a solution, you know, temporary solution. And so I ended up getting, going on to another armored vehicle company for five years and like, I don't even remember the interview. I was interviewed five times because of, I was running the U.S. armored vehicle business for a company called Jankel. Um, great company, made armored vehicles as well. We supplied them to the U.S. government. But I don't even remember my my interview, you know. And I just had like anger issues, just, uh, you know, I get easily agitated where I just go off, which obviously isn't conducive to a work environment, right? When you're leading a high-pressured uh expansion in, in trying to take over the U.S. armored, you know, vehicle business for this, for the U.S. So then I came to Georgia for another company. In the last five years, I, I got back into private security. I wanted to do, you know, I was like, look, I want to, I want to run and gun and one more, one more go, you know? And so I, I got back into um, uh, doing high-risk protection for celebrities last five years up to when I, my cancer diagnosis. Anybody so that's cool? What's that? Anybody cool? Well, unfortunately, I'm under NDAs. <laughs> but yeah, it was just that a, means they were all cool. <laughs> yeah, real a variety cool. of people. You know, they're all cool up there, man. That's why they're the stars. I'm not really that starstruck, you know, with 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 folks um, in general. I'm like everyone's just the dude, you know. But I like the mission, you know. That's what got me back into it. I was like, I just want to do this. Maybe I can do it to 50, you know. Just because uh, physically, I was really still really fit and um I, I just enjoy it you know it's kind of like i felt like a ronin when i was in the manufacturing space it's like i had the purpose there but doing something bigger than you i feel like has always been a calling for me you know sure yeah it's ingrained that dna like uh, it doesn't matter what you call us or what kind of generation that we're in guys certain type of guys generate to a certain path Hundred percent. So, given the given just your your path and your experiences, and now your diagnosis with cancer and your battle with cancer, but you got a what your documentary that you got coming up? Yeah. So earlier this year in January, so what what ended up happening when I got my cancer diagnosis in the fall of nineteen, and it it was a fairly advanced form of bone cancer. So I knew initially my outlook wasn't particularly great, you know, 29% five-year survival to start wasn't good. So I started getting treatment for PTS. I got, I got, you know, medicated and, and actually was very diligent. Like I haven't missed a meeting uh, in almost two years and that started to help. 
so that kind of prompted me in the, when I knew I had lung cancer last year, I wasn't diagnosed officially, but I knew I was stage four. I said, man, I've been watching the news for the last three years as I'm rehabbing. And our country is very sick right now. There's a sickness in our country. It's very obvious if you don't even have to think about it to know there's being, there's just a a big issue in our country. And it pained me because I'm a patriot and I, I love our country. I think we have the best country on the planet, but we're doing our best and our damnedest to fuck it up. And it's not acceptable to me. So I, I want to do something again while I'm going through all these treatments and figuring I only had maybe a year to live. I was like, I want to do something impactful and I want to do something positive in light of all this stuff that's going on in our country. Every time you turn on a news channel, it's the next book of revelations. And I started calling documentary guys. I have no idea what I'm doing in regards to documentary. I have not done a film or book or anything. I stayed away from my whole career. And I found my, uh, my partner, he's my producer for the documentary, Daniel uh, Beatty. I ended up reaching out to him. He was very passionate about this. We've self-funded the last six months we've been filming. And the whole purpose of what we're doing, I wanted to raise awareness of the epidemic of veteran suicide in our community. And it's bigger than our community, but that's people that I can get in front of um, a lot easier than just a general populace, but it's, it's a big health, you know, epidemic across the board, paramedics, firefighters, first responders, and regular people. But when I saw the numbers, you know, estimated in 2021, Boston university, the last numbers I got in 2021, it was over 30,177 veterans have committed suicide post nine 11. And we had 70,000 combat losses or 7,057 combat losses at that time. And I was like, Holy shit. And that's just people that are active duty or veterans of the post nine 11 wars. But if you look at 22 a day, you're talking somewhere around 150,000 people around that number have committed suicide just from 2001. And I want to do something about it. You know, I was like, if I can save one life, if I struggled, I'm a professional sufferer. And I didn't, when I started the documentary, I told my buddy, I said, Hey, I don't know if I'm going to make it through the end of this documentary, dude. Um, I I had suicidal ideation like daily for, you know, off and on, but at some points daily all day. And I was like, I'm going to end up losing this battle, man. So if I can't do it, how about other dudes, you know, that might not be as equipped and um, so we set out on this. So I wanted to tell my story, but I also want to have these exceptional veterans in the community that have found ways to get past it. And I wanted to do take an pr- approach which was aspiring, not like, you know, a sad documentary, which it is, is really grim. Like who's going to tune in to watch a documentary on veteran suicide? It's kind of grim. But I inspire people through my story and these other guys who a lot of amputees, burned guys burned over 70% of their bodies and they come through the other side and are doing these exceptional things. So that's kind of the goal, you know, and I also want to provide true resources. So guys know where to look at the end of the day. Yeah, it's important. When's that coming out? So we got about 80% of the filming portion done. We've self-funded everything to date. So we've flown out to Texas to your neck of the woods. Um, 
done a bunch of interviews there. A uh, couple in Nashville. Uh, we just got back from Savannah and Nashville uh, within the last month, uh, Oklahoma. So up to this point, we've got about 80% of the film done. We're, we're targeting January, you know, for release. And that's going to be predicated on funding because we're going to need help on, on the post-editing work is where a lot of work, uh, the work has to be done. So we're about that point. We got about eh, maybe 15 to 20% left of the film, maybe another month. And then we got to get right into the post work. So, yeah, that's kind of what our, what our goal is. Well, what's next? What's next for Chris? I mean, you're, you're, I mean, you're, you're definitely a optimist and a long sufferer. Yeah. But you're also, <laughs> you got a clock. Most people, I don't think anybody can walk around. I don't think anybody can be as optimistic as you're walking around with a clock hanging yeah. around her neck. Yeah. What's the it's, secret? Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you guys a personal one. that's kind of like hits home really hard right now. Right. Cause I wrote Andrew, um, maybe about a week ago, we found out my wife was pregnant. Um, Congratulations, Congratulations. well, yeah, I shouldn't have let in with that one about three weeks ago. Cause it's going to go into the mindset, right? Cause what you guys do, you know, talk about not, not quitting. Um, we went nine years, we didn't think we could have children. One, I'm old as dirt and I'm stage four, right? So we were not planning on having a child, but um, my wife, uh, so we've been, we've been together for about nine years. Uh, we've been raising an 18 year old Gavin. He's a fantastic kid, just graduated high school. And so about three weeks ago, we found out she was pregnant and um, I went she didn't have anybody by her side with her pregnancy with him. She was pregnant at like 17 in high school, 18. So she raised him by her, by herself. So fast forward to three weeks ago, I found out I was like, she, and she was obviously upset because of my diagnosis. I said, Hey, guess I'll have to fucking try harder. Right. I literally told her that, you know, I was like, Hey man, only God's going to take me out at this point. This is meant to be. So it was kind of a mind, mind fuck, you know, and a really horrible thing. It was like, you know, such a great blessing and i just was like man this is like god's work man because chances but then like you know i went through this not a week and a half ago uh it was actually two weeks from today went and saw the baby's heartbeat you know which blew my mind because i've never had but my own kids biologically and that was part of my why i wanted to set up a, a non-profit to to do what we're doing and do this documentary and uh so yeah, just last week on Tuesday, we lost the baby, which was just horrible. Oh, and, um, yeah, you shouldn't have led with that. Yeah. Wow. But it goes into the story, right? Like it was such a, like with all the things going on the following day, I started my cancer, you know, treat, like I had a lot of exploratory tests to be done the following day. So it was like all this stuff at one time. So we came home, she's still, dealing with that. And we're both dealing with that. But when it comes to mindset that day was, you know, so devastating, but at the same point from a mindset perspective, I I started having these thoughts creep in. This is important for the viewers because it's how you deal. It's all on how you frame what's going on in your life. And I was really pissed that day. And just kind of angry at the world, you know, you start having these thoughts like, 
how's all this bad shit happening to me? Right. So the next morning I woke up when she, when the doctor came in, she said, once my wife said something really profound, she was like, I didn't know how bad we wanted this until it happened, you know? And I was thinking the exact same thing. I'm like, well, number one, we know we can get, have a kid now. And number two, we both want to do it. So let's, you know, she wants to try. And I was like, Hey, let's get through and figure out where I'm at with my cancer treatment and let's go. And that's what I latched onto the following day. I totally changed my mindset and I fixated on that one positive thing. And even with my cancer stuff, I'm like, let's go, you know, like I'm ready to, I'm ready to, to tackle on whatever challenge they, the doc gives me, you know, I'll probably get like all, you know, skinny and my beard will fall out, you know, it is what it is, you know? That's so the mindset right there. I yeah, mean, I mean, you can't do nothing else. You just got to go forward. It, it kind of, I'm trying to harness it in the good, you know, because we're doing good things with the documentary. I'm, I'm, I've already made it a year at stage four, you know, with no treatment. And I feel great. I go to the gym five, six days a week, trying to do all the right things. And uh, you just got to get after it, you know, and just reframe your brain, you know, especially with PTS guys, guys always are like, man, I grew up because I grew up, I'm old school, man. My dad was you know, I told you about my father being yeah. a cop and being a military. We weren't a touchy feely kind of, you know, relationship. And I've talked to friends who are suffering right now. And they're like, man, I don't want to talk about my feelings. I'm like, yeah, because it's fucking hard, dude. You know, that's what you need. You need to face it like an enemy. And the hardest enemy is yourself. Sure. Absolutely. You know, and it's always good with guys like us, too, man. You focus on something else as soon as you get that task reconnect that yeah. energy you know i mean because that thinking about that well it'll burn a hole in you yeah for sure if you let it but you can't yeah chris what can our listeners do to support you support the documentary because obviously what you're doing is going to make a huge impact and what an incredible legacy how can we support you well it's funny the other thing is like yeah i hate you know on the on the help side um, I hate to ask for help, you know what I mean? But the things that people can do, you know, one, we have a landing page up. It's we are brothers keeper with an S. Um, we initially what, what we're looking for is like people can can follow me on social media um, and follow kind of the journey of what we're, what we're doing. I'm trying to weaponize social media for good. And that's it. Uh, at least I'm attempting to. What's your social um, media platforms? Um, I'm on Instagram. It's Chris underscore Cathers, C-A-T-H-E-R-S. And so basically the, the we are brothers, uh, landing page, um, we're, we're going to start uh, launching that now for donations to help us put together the remainder portion of our documentary. And I'm also setting up a 5013C charity and any money that's raised above and beyond our documentary, I want to start partnering uh, with nonprofits that are truly doing good work that are vetted. Um, I've already flown out to a, several really awesome non, uh, nonprofits or for-profit businesses that are helping veterans that are struggling with PTS, mental health issues, or suicide or drug addiction, because there's a lot of similarities there. So that's what I want to do. I want to continue that 5013C when we're finished the documentary to continually raise funds and go 5013C to 5013C and help uh, veterans in need. So that's kind of what uh, 
what we're doing and make babies. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, and I got to stick around, <laughs> raise that kid. You ain't going nowhere. <laughs> hey man, that's a motivator, right? I, hey man, that's what that's for. That's what I was going to say. That's going to keep you alive for the next man. 50 years. Then you'll, there'll be times you'll be like, what was I thinking? <laughs> Damn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's all awesome. perspective, right? No yeah. matter what we're in, man, when you're in it, you kind of, it's always something. My brother and I were talking about this morning when we were driving around and it's like, Hey man, so-and-so is dealing with this or we're dealing with that. And I'm like, well, man, it's life in itself is a problem. If you're alive and you're in it, you're going to have one. So uh, it's, you know, it's, it's how you deal with it. Yeah. So you're it a great example of that, man. So don't give up. Never quit, man. Just yeah. keep moving forward, brother. And we'll, we'll do everything we can to, to support you and back you up. Pass the word around. Yeah, that's the other thing people can do is just spread the word. You know, um, if people on social media, you know, use it for good. And um, I think what we're doing is holistically good. You know, as far as a documentary, I, I really think people just talking about it. It's probably a close second to the hardest I've ever done is is this documentary because it's it's really highly uncomfortable to talk about you know things you've been through um but because i know it's for you know it's a bigger 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 purpose than myself it makes it a lot easier and it's been a, a kind of a healing you know process through through it um i had to do some pretty difficult things um as we've been filming this and um even hearing other guys' stories, man, it's, it's rough because some of these guys are so exceptional. You just, I'm like, you need a movie, dude. <laughs> like some of these guys' stories are, you know, just so crazy. And uh, I just want to help. Everybody, man, if you went over in the body, they're all crazy. It's nuts. That they're Well, not crazy. They're great. They're just great yeah. stories. I mean, even the hardcore ones, when you got guys sitting there, because I think with our generation, man, we that's what we were raised for. And the stories that come out of there, damn sure, man, they're they're on point. Yeah, yeah. bad decisions and bad days make great stories. Yeah, PTSD, man. We said that's just pissed off, tired, looking for something to do, right? Get some PT <laughs> in, stop drinking. And, and it, there's just, I, you know, when you hear our guys, especially the, I mean, our generation, it it's a thing we do. Like everything that you talk about is like each one of us had to go through that. It's it's the craziest damn thing. It's almost our rite yeah. of passage is just to be in this fraternity. It's like, hey, man, you remember that phase? People were like, hey, you quit drinking? I was like, no, I just drank all of it. There ain't nothing left. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah. I just drank until I got bored, I guess. I don't know, man. It just stopped. <laughs> <laughs> it's like each one of these phases in our life, uh, we go through it, man. And Well, here's the deal. Is the, more, the more we talk about it, everyone, you start to realize that. So then it's not an individual problem, man. It's like, all right, if we're all stuck in here doing this together, then there's there's a point to it. Because you can't believe what it'll create. Yeah. Some of us don't survive. Some of us do, right? But as we, we're we only midway through this. And look what we've already been yeah. through. I mean, look yeah. what they put us through. Us putting this through this. I yeah. Mean, so I, you don't get battle weakened, man. You get battle hardened. There's wisdom that comes with all that pain. You don't yeah, learn nothing. Unless you get out there and suffer. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things that, that maybe it'll help if I say it, but you know, there's this great quote that thief is the comparison of joy or uh, comparison is the thief of joy. Right. And I think that it's, it's so interesting because I know guys that I just look up to 
in the fact of some of the things they've accomplished, right? I'm like, who am I, you know? And I'm looking at these guys and they're, they're, some guys are so self-deprecating, you know, um, they compare themselves to other guys. And I've had it happen through the documentary. I have an amputee friend who's in the fight, you know, he's really struggling and, um, he's an amputee, um, blow the knee amputee, but went through just a lot of stuff. And, um, you know, he'll be like, Oh, but you did this and you did that. I'm like, dude, this isn't about me, bro. You know, I look at you and I put you on a pedestal because of the stuff that you've been through. You just need to deal with it. And you got to go, you got to get, you know, it's, it's so crazy. Deal with it, damn it. Yeah. You can't compare yourself, you know, to anybody else. You just got to do you. Pick it right on, bro. Chris, thanks so much, man, for sharing your story with us. And we'll definitely be sure to let the audience know where they can support you. We'll put the links in the bio so people can find everything you're doing, follow you on social, support the documentary. So thank you again for sharing that. Yeah, brother. Thanks a lot, man. We need to get you out here, yeah, too. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Hey, keep us posted on what's uh, on what's going on with you. Yeah, no, 100%. I will. Um, I should know more by the end of this week. You know, it's an exciting week because I just want to get get some answers and get on with it. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, right. You know? Can we get your contact info from uh, Andrew? Send it over. Yeah, I'll punch it out to you guys. I'll hit, uh, I'll hit you up. Keep, yeah, keep cell phone keep, number, man. We'll, we'll keep in touch. If you need anything on the medical side or whatever, I'm, I'm getting pretty connected these days. So Doc maybe. Frankenstein, we got one of them guys. I mean, you know, whatever you want to do, bro. <laughs> 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 we got Let's everything go. in this club. You can't believe it. That's <laughs> uh, we'll awesome. We'll keep you in our prayers, man. Guys. Yeah, we'll keep praying for you, bro, and just keep ch- charging for it. Just- 100%. And I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. All right, buddy. Adios.